Wow, it's so good to see you again and be with you again. What an honor, what a privilege, what a joy uh, to be with friends. Carol and I love you so much, and we feel at home here. We are, I, I'm so sorry, and Carol's so sorry that she's not here with you this morning. She sends her greetings and love. Last night she came down with a fever uh, and was not really very well yet this morning, and so our apologies that she's not here, but she really misses being with you, but uh, she sends her greetings and love uh, to you. Um, we are so grateful. I mean, the, since the last time we saw you and were with you, you've sent a couple more groups of people, and uh, as I shared in Sunday school, we traveled back last time with Anna and Kenny, and that was a such a joy and a privilege to have them there and to see firsthand and and what a example of love you showed when you did that and, and sent them to be able to be with us and um, that's that's just a you need to know that's just a really unusual thing that you all did and it was a very loving thing and we are so grateful because we love Ann and Kenny and so much, and it was so good to have them with us, and then just to follow right up again in September and to have another team from Rocky Point come and teach and minister, what a joy it was to have. I mean, Carol and I were just like giddy almost, you know, when they got there, and this, this, this second team didn't have to come as a tough a way as the first team, as uh, uh, the Landys will attest to. They flew right into Moyo, and the first team you sent, we had to, I had to go get them and drive them four hours on dirt road, and it was dark and rain, and, and so the second team only got to hear about those stories. But we put them to work right. They got there on Saturday, and we just started right off ministering and had a week of, of training with uh, North Sudanese pastors, and then on the weekend, we went right into Yumbi, which is next door, which I've told you about before. When we had open-air preaching. Um, your team did great. Jeff and Edward got up on the land cruiser. The rest were doing one-on-one -on -one witnessing uh, in the community and the trading. We, we like to go to trading centers right into the markets and set right up in the middle of everything. Uh, did wonderful, and then we came back. About midnight or 1 o'clock, I think we got back, and so Monday we had a little bit of time of rest, but we had to get ready for three days of another group of pastors coming in um, and did three more days of training, and then we were headed to the mountains, and we're coming back from Yumbi, the Land Cruiser was acting, so they didn't know if I was joking or not, because I sometimes tell jokes when we were riding the Land Cruiser, but it was going up the hills kind of lurching, and we didn't know if we'd make it, and and it truly was a problem with the, something with the Land Cruiser, and it kept us from going into the Metu Mountains, which we were planning to do. Um, and I'm so excited that in June, there's another team that you're all are sending. Thank you. Uh, I know God has the ones picked out to do that, and we will welcome you with arms wide open and receive you uh, uh, in our midst to minister and share the glory of Christ. Thank you so much. We do, we do love you and uh, are grateful. I'm grateful to be able to stand before you and share God's word, which is my passion in my heart as well. Um, and so I want to get right to that without too much other, other talking. Uh, so let me pray first, uh, and then we'll read the word together and talk about it. Lord God, we come to you with grateful hearts for the love that you have lavished upon us through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been touched by that love. Our eyes have been opened. You have granted us the gift of faith and repentance, and we have come to know you. And Lord, we're growing in that knowledge, and we want to grow more and more in knowing you and fellowshipping with you, Lord God. And I pray that this morning could be a part of that growing in grace experience for us all, Lord God. Lord, I thank you for Rocky Point Baptist Church. Lord, I thank you for the work of grace that you are doing in this church and through this church. I thank you, Lord God, for the vision they have for their community. I thank you, Lord God, for the vision that you have given them for the world, for unreached peoples. 
thank you for the people that are ministering here and that they're sending out. They're not clutching on to people, but sending them out, Lord God. We pray this morning that we all would be encouraged in that even more. Lord, for we know that unless you, by your Spirit, opens our eyes to your word, we will not see, we will not understand, uh, we will not know, Lord God. So we pray that you would grant a spirit of wisdom and revelation to each one of us that are listening to me as I speak as well, that we would grow in the understanding of your great, great love, and we'd understand it even more, even more, Lord God. I pray that every word that comes from you would remain in people's hearts and would bear much fruit. I pray that every word that does not come from you would would just blow away like the dust in the wind, Lord God, and would not remain. So have your way amongst us. Be glorified in our midst this morning through the proclamation of your word. We rely on your spirit to stir our hearts and to encourage us and to exhort us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the text this morning is Romans chapter 15, and you see the, the main part of the text that I'm going to be zeroing in is verse 20, but I really want us to, to go back and start reading at verse 18. So if you'll open with your Bibles to Romans chapter 15, we'll start at verse 18, and I want to read all the way through uh, verse 21, and we'll zero in on verse 20 uh, the rest of the morning. Romans chapter 15, verse 18. For I will venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that all the way from Jerusalem, all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus... I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written in Isaiah 52, 15, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Praise God for his word. Every one of us has an ambition for something or someone, right? We all, we all have ambitions, and this morning I want us to really flesh out, to unpack this whole little phrase here, thus I make it my ambition. And as I worked mainly on this sermon, it was in Entebbe when we had flew in a little puddle jumper down from Arua to Entebbe. We spent a couple of days there, and that's where I was really focusing on studying and preparing and praying over this message. As I, as I looked around and as I sat there listening to this beautiful, y'all that been there know the place. There's Lake Victoria out there. I'm sitting there, and in the midst of my uh, study, I hear the Muslim call to prayer very loudly, just calling people to prayer. It was midday. Um, looked over to the side. There was a lady there mopping the floor. Um, I could see at that place right there, you can see the planes landing into the Entebbe Airport, flying over top of Lake Victoria, landing into the airport. You could see the planes taking off right over the lake, because you can look right down, and there's a lake. And, and they were full of people going and coming. All of those people, including myself there doing that study, have ambi had ambitions. We have ambitions. We have goals. And I know that you do as well. You have ambitions. We have those. And that's what I want us to really talk about, this idea of ambition. I make it my ambition. Um, what is it? What is ambition? My little South Texas definition is it's when you want to do something so much, so very much it just occupies your mind. It fills your mind. It's there always. It, it moves you to do whatever that ambition is passionately. If you have a, an ambition for something, you, you go to it, not grudgingly, but you're getting up and you're ready to go. It's something that you dream about. It's something that you're thinking about all the time. So much so that it even pushes other things behind, other things that we might like to do, but we have this ambition, and so 
So things get put back a little bit, and we go forward with that ambition, uh, and we move forward. It causes us to leverage our gifts, sacrifice our time to accomplish that ambition. It's our dreams. It's what we have passion for, ambition. The question is not, and this is a point I really want to hopefully make clear this, for, the, this morning, is the passion is not do we have ambition or ambitions, but what kind of ambitions do we have? We all have them. So the point, we say, what kind of ambitions do we have? Now, originally in my thinking and, and growing up and even in talking with other people, most people's opinion and mine was for the longest time that, you know, being ambitious was okay, but if, if I heard, you know, so-and-so is overly ambitious, that person, she is just a bit too ambitious. I, I tended to put a negative spin on it always. I don't know about you all, but I just kind of thought, well, you know, you kind of tend to mistrust people with these big ideas, these big ambitions. Uh, what about you? I mean, what if you hear about someone saying, oh, she's just so ambitious. You know, what's our immediate thought? Sadly, Mine first was, you know, more of a negative type idea. It's kind of the idea that, well, that person is so ambitious, they're just going to run over everyone else. They don't care about anyone else. They're just going to go full steam ahead, and they're just going to get done, and they're not going to care who's in their way. Um, they're going to trample on people, or they're very proud, arrogant, etc. Um, that's it definitely can be true. Wise people, and we want wisdom, right? Wise people understand that context is essential in understanding meaning of words, phrases, and all the choices that we make. So we have to be careful. I have to be careful in my judgment because the Bible does speak both about selfish and holy ambition. Although the Greek word that's translated ambition in these different places is, is a different word. But in English, it's translated as ambition in 1520, which is a positive sense. And then, for instance, in Philippians 2.3, it's translated a little bit differently. Philippians 2.3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So ambitions that are selfish, according to this text, are not good. Ambitions that are selfish are self-centered, just in what we want. Really, the biblical word for selfish ambition is idolatry, plain and simple. That's, that's selfish ambition. So we're going to, this morning, kind of be putting some adverbs in front of the word itself. So selfish ambition is not a good thing. So, in for, in for instance, if a person, person is ambitious to make much money, it, the main goal is to make much money, so that, those words, those connecting words are always important in context, so that the person can just have comfort, Security, entertainment, that ambition is selfish. God condemns such ambitions, which are self-centered. Self -centered. Admittedly, probably most ambitions maybe be, uh, fall into that category. And dare I say, even in the church, possibly. So, what makes an ambition holy? What makes an ambition godly? What makes an ambition pleasing in God's sight? Since we all have ambitions, right? We all have them. So what the goal is, our duty is to make sure that our ambitions fall into the category of holy, godly, and pleasing to God. And not in the category of selfish. So we want, we, we want to be over here with godly, not over here with selfish. Um, I love the title of one of, the, one of Dave Harvey's books um, that I had read back in 2010. It was entitled Rescuing Ambition, 
and I read it again recently, and uh, there's few books that I've read on this topic. There's not a whole lot out there, actually. Few books that I've read on this topic that deal with this whole idea so well as Dave Harvey in his book, Rescuing Ambition. Uh, he, he really digs into that and biblically helps us examine. And the title is very, very fitting. Ambition Needs to be Rescued in the Church was the point of his book. And it's really part of the heart of what I'd like to really share with you this morning, that ambition needs to be rescued. He says things like this in his book. Holy, holy ambition comes from God. Holy ambitions are Christ-exalting. We need to leverage our gifts, careers, goals, and dreams for the glory of God. We sang about that this morning. Thank you, Jeff. Um, uh, we, need, we are created by God to desire to go after these desires with a single-minded devotion and determination. We all, that's all, the word there, all, we all live on a quest for glory and chase after the things we love And in this quest. God uses small people to steer the course of history. God does not approve glory-seeking. Oh, listen to this. He commends it. Remember, context is important. The glory-seeking which is ambitious for God's glory, for the lifting up of God's name, this is the kind of ambition that we need to have. I don't know about you, but this kind of language just stirs me, and it just kind of gets my heart pumping, and, and I hope yours as well. And I want that godly ambition. I want that ambition. I want that passion. I want to be passionate for those things that God is passionate about. I know that you want to be passionate for those things that God is passionate about. I think, I believe, that our ambitions most often are not too high-minded. They're not too lofty. They are too, they are not high-minded enough. Did you get that? They're not high-minded enough. They're not lofty enough. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, and I put a few spins on his quote here. Um, puts it this way. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires, I say our holy ambitions, he finds our holy ambitions not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition, I add the word, selfish ambition, when, when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Ah, I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want to be too easily pleased. And one of the quotes we have in, at the hall, the Tyrannus, and even in the guest house is William Carey's, where he says, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that do not matter. That's what I, he said he's afraid. That's what I'm afraid of too. And I pray that that's your passion too. I don't want to succeed at things that don't matter. Because, I mean, when you get gray hair, especially you start thinking about it more. You know, I want to do things that matter to God, that are going to go on for eternity that's going to echo through eternity. And as we have passion for godly things, those things remain and continue and grow long after we're gone and into heaven. What's important, and what I think is so important to understand when we're talking about this ambition, is that in and through the gospel, we have God's approval. Right? We sang that too. <laughs> in and through the gospel, we have God's approval. So no longer do we need to seek God or man's approval through our actions. That's important to remember when we're talking about ambitions. When we truly understand God's abundant grace and his lavish love, as it says in 1 John chapter 3, we live ambitiously, not for approval, not for approval, but from approval. 
When we understand that, we live ambitiously from approval. We can say then with William Carey, the father of modern missions, expect great things from God and receive great things from God. Expect great things from God and receive great things from God. We're not too high-minded in our ambitions. We're too little-minded. We need to expect big things. Big things for Stephenville. Big things for our world. Ephesians 4, 2 and 3 says it like this. Walk, walk, that means live, in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, those are key factors in living ambitiously, with patience. Or as B.B. Warfield says, become in faith what God has declared you to already be. So holy ambition begins not with what we are doing, but in who we are in Christ Jesus. That's very, very important. Now as we look at the context, and we look at Romans 15, uh, I think that we could all agree that the ambition that we have demonstrated in this verse is a holy ambition. It's a godly ambition. It's an ambition that's pleasing to God. Now first, and, and I'm, I'm included in this group, first we might admit, well, we're not Paul. <laughs> Any Pauls out there? <laughs> we're not Paul. I mean, he was the apostle, the apostle to the Gentiles that we read about, who wrote the letters to the New Te- in the New Testament. We're not Paul. But let us remember, let us remember in six different occasions in his letters, Paul says, listen, be an imitator of me. He says it like this also. Follow me as I follow Christ. So we're not off the hook. <laughs> we're not off the hook. Paul is an example, and we're not too proud when we say we need to be like Paul in his holy ambitions. We need to be like him. I like what C.H. Spurgeon's grandfather said about his grandson, C.H. Spurgeon, the prince of preachers that we all know about. This is what he said. He said, Charles Spurgeon, C.H. may preach a better sermon than me, but he does not preach a better gospel. I love it, don't you? We have the same Holy Spirit in us. You have the same Holy Spirit in you that Paul had in him. Right? That same Holy Spirit fuel and ambitions fueled by the Holy Spirit are in you and me that were in Paul. They're not inferior, they're not greater. We can and should model our ambitions after Paul. That's the first point. We should. We need to. We need to look at that as as an example of godly ambition. What was Paul's ambition in this text? I think it's easy to see. It was to preach Christ where he is not named. He lived for it. The The book of Acts shows that his life, his passion that he lived to preach Christ where he was not named. And he says, there's no more room for me to work. He says, I go, what? There's a lot of gospel work to do. He said, well, there's no more work for me to, to do in this region. So I, I have to go and preach where, where Christ is not named. Or we would say it in our missiology type terms, uh, Paul's ambition was to preach Christ to unreached people groups. And as I point out other times, an unreached people group, when we see the words like nation in the Great Commission, it's not talking about a political nation like United States or Uganda. It's a people group, a people group. And so unreached people groups are people groups that have their own language, their own culture, and they're classified by those who study missions as Groups of people that have less than 2% evangelicals in their midst where they need outside help to strengthen the church, like the Oringa tribe that lives right next to us. And then there's, they say there's around 6,000 of those people groups in, a, in the world. Shame on us, church. Why is there 6,000 people groups that are unreached with the gospel 
when I would venture to say that all of those people groups have Coca-Cola, if not most of them. Um, and then amongst those 6,000, there are 3,000 of those which are termed unengaged. That means where there's no active Christian mission work being done. That's the kind of thing that he's talking about here. That's the kind of exhortation that he is giving to us this morning. Um, and the local church, Rocky Point Baptist, is at the heart of that call to missions. Missions, as I remember one of the times I was with you, missions call is a local church call. It's not a call just to individuals. It's a call to the local church. And you are walking that out and how you're living that out and sending teams and working here in your community. You're sending teams to South America. You're sending teams to Africa to do that very thing. Praise God. Keep doing that and increase in that ambition. Um, and let, let me say right up front, preaching the gospel to unreached peoples is not the one and only ambition. <laughs> we missionaries sometimes will make, you know, like, that's, no. It, it's not the one and only ambition. But the context of our scripture, and if we're faithful to the word, Jeff, right? Preaching the word. Uh, Joshua, we're preaching the word. We have to preach it in context. What's the context of our scripture? Unreached peoples. So that's, you know, so I have a, an agenda, of course, when I'm preaching this, because I want to stir you in that area as well. And, and, and I want to be very clear that all ambitions that are holy are always acts of love done in faith and meeting people's needs. The need to hear the gospel proclaimed as well as in good deeds. Paul says it in the text, in word and deed. Uh, Titus 2.14 says, be zealous for good works. One of the reasons we have agriculture that we're doing side by side with our ministry. Uh, reading glasses that you send with your teams and with us. Uh, be zealous. This is to be done wherever God has planted us. We're to be ambitious for his glory wherever he has planted us. And our ambitions need to be strong wherever he has planted us. And this can be done either directly or indirectly. Today's context, our scripture today, is the ambition to make disciples, to see churches planted where there are very few or none among that cultural group. A tribe, a nation, a people group, a geographical area like a village of people without one single church in their midst. To plant churches not where there are other churches already, but where there are none or they're failing, like Joshua is talking to me about in Colorado, where they're just struggling and the churches are closing down. Those are the places that churches need to be planted. Um, and I want to encourage us, when, when, you, when, when I talk, and you know, I get to meet a lot of people and talk about missions and unreached people groups, um, often people will come and try to soften that a little bit with some type of an excuse. I mean, um, or they will use these either-or things. Like, the most common that I hear, and maybe some of you are thinking right now when I'm talking about unreached people groups, well, we have work to do here. Well, yes, of course we do. But let's not soften the call to unreached people groups by comparing it to something. It's not an either-or situation. It's a both-and. We need to be passionate for both. And I want to be just up front. We need to be very passionate about both. But I also want us to understand that there are people that do not have the gospel at all. There are villages with not one church in them. And when we bring groups of pastors in for training, one of the first things, because we bring them in from several different denominations, and we'll talk about you know, planning a church in an area and I'll use the example of the Metu Mountains because that's where we work a lot. And I'll say, well, you have these 10 villages right here and you have this church group and this church group and this church group. You all need to get together. Don't go and try to plant a church where 
the other church already is, or don't two of you go to the same village and plant a church, but talk about, let's, look, let's go to these villages that have no gospel. They have no gospel witness, no church. Let's be passionate about getting established church first in that community, in that village, in that people group. And that's our call as a local church ministry is to go where there are none. And that's the ambition that Paul is talking about that we need to be imitators of. Um, I freely and openly admit that my goal, my passion, my ambition today is to stir you in that direction and to encourage you to even be more ambitious, more ambitious. I'm not saying that you aren't, but I'm encouraging you to be more ambitious in reaching unreached, unengaged people groups. To spur you. Texans like that because we understand spurs, right? To spur you um, into one of your primary ambitions to be a living, active part of that type of thing, which you are doing, which you are doing. I'm encouraging that even more with y'all. That's not the case in a lot of the places that, we're go- that we go to and we visit. Um, remember, we carry the same gospel that Paul had, and let me boldly say to you, we need to have the same ambition and be willing to take the same risk that Paul took. Romans 15 pushes our ambition to do things we never expected, what the world calls foolish. Uh, Many times people have said to us, Jacob, Carol, you're foolish. From our family members to friends, that is just foolish. You know, and then they go on with the, the reasons. The audacious ambition of this text that is before us, which is God's word to you, It's God's word to you, moves one to put away the ambition of the, quote, American dream. And you can define that however you want. This kind of holy ambition is not like a meteorite that burns brightly for a short time. It's not that kind of ambition. It's an ambition which burns like the sun because it is one that's fueled by the very heart of God that all the nations, we read it from Isaiah, that all the nations would worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's God's call. That's God's call to be ambitious for that. This kind of ambition does not call for risk for the sake of risk. That would be reckless, right? We don't take risk for the sake of risk. That's recklessness. But, one of my favorite words, but a risk for the glory of Christ and the spread of the gospel, which is well-pleasing. Another quote we have at RAU, risk is right when the cause is Christ. David Sitting. Risk is right when the cause is Christ. To quote David Harvey again in his book, Rescuing Ambition, ambition and risk are the human ingredients that God uses to put the gospel into circulation, whether it be here in America, this is my added part, or among unreached people groups. He goes on and says, here is where we discover a strange irony. God wants to rescue ambition so that ambition in turn can rescue us, rescue you and me. Ambition rescues us by exerting claims on us that change our lives. Our goal in our gospel witness is to take our eyes off of the risk and place them on the cause for the risk. Off the risk and to the cause of the risk. When God compels us in this way, he doesn't often tell us what the risks are. After all, there's no risk for the all-knowing, the all-powerful God, right? There's no risk for him. He didn't have to tell us what the risks are. So, so let us be ambitious, like Romans 15 says, to see that all are reached with the gospel of grace. Romans 1.16. The gospel is the power of salvation in all places. There are, and this is something that God has just put in my heart so strongly, 
ever since I, I was allowed to go to Pakistan and, ministry, and minister, there are no closed doors to the gospel, just some that are more difficult to go through. And I, this has been a very great comfort to me whenever I get into kind of precarious situations. There's no closed doors. God is sovereign. He's in control. We're not being reckless for recklessness sake. That's foolish. But we're taking risks for the gospel. So we're going to go into Yumbi. And I told your team, I said, yeah, you know, there's possibility that that could not work out good, humanly speaking. <laughs> they might come, I mean, one time right after uh, they were there was the time before. I mean, there was a group gathering in this community. They were ready to come get me and beat me. And God in his providence stopped them. They weren't allowed to do it, but it's a possibility. But is that going to stop us? No. Because we're going there to preach the living and powerful gospel. Now, I know most of you are not called to go to an unreached people group. But no doubt some of you are. However, I believe I can say authoritatively that those of you who are called to stay are to be ambitious risk-takers as well. Where God has planted you, where he has set you in your school, in the university, in your workplace, with your relatives, you are to be ambitious risk-takers. Wherever God has put you. And to actively pray and give and be ambitious to see the gospel planted deep and well among the unreached people groups of the world, which you now are also having a part of. Praise God. And let me close with a, with a personal story um, and a personal exhortation, and then I'll be finished. As most of you know, Carol and I, we, we live right on the Ugandan-South Sudan border. Um, God has opened the door up to give us 20 acres right there on the border. Our main calling, our main mission is to walk out 2 Timothy 2.2, teach faithful people who in turn will teach others, who will teach others, who will teach others, and that's why we have the teaching hall called the Hall of Tyrannus. Um, and we see and we continue to see firsthand the terrible fruit of the civil war that's going on just across the border. Some of your members saw a little bit of that. Um, and it doesn't look like it's getting any better anytime soon. Uh, some estimate right around a million, depends on who you talk to, refugees right in our middle, in our immediate area, right where we're at. Um, most of these refugees are from South Sudan, uh, and we're actively working to train leaders and to do deeds of love with these refugees as well as our local Mahdi tribe, um, and the Oringa tribe that's next door, which is an unreached people group. What many do not know, though, which you all are a part of, is that there are a good number of North Sudanese. In 2011, Sudan split and became South Sudan and North Sudan, or actually it's called the Republic of Sudan, but most say North Sudan now. Um, and North Sudan has been actively persecuting and trying to take away the lands and um, force out the southern part of North Sudan Muslims. And so what that created was a lot of these Muslims that were in Darfur, especially southern Darfur, the Nuba Mountains, and the Blue Nile states, for those of you who want to look it up geographically, um, they were being pressured by the cartoon government uh, and being killed systematically. And so a lot of those Muslims had to go to South Sudan camps. So I'm telling you the story of God's providence. Even as they were, one, one young man telling me that he saw helicopter gunships blowing up mosques full of Muslims praying. And he says, why are they doing that? We're fellow Muslims. And it was the first thing that got his, he said, it's the first thing that got me questioning my Muslim faith. Then they go to South Sudan. Some of them there hear the gospel. They're afraid to even touch the Bible, they will tell us, tell me. And they get saved. And then the war breaks out in South Sudan. And what happens to them? They can't go back to North Sudan. So where do they go? To Uganda. 
and some of them get saved in Uganda. And those are the people that God is bringing to RAU, which your team had a part of ministering and teaching this last September. Isn't that amazing? I mean, their God, I only had a vision for the North, you know, because I can't go into Darfur. I think that might change, though, or the New Levantines, and that could change, too. Um, but he's bringing them to us. These have been men that have been graciously saved and coming to RAU for training. They've been to four trainings already, most of them. And their holy ambition is to go back to their tribes and make disciples. You know, when they come, and I said this in Sunday school, they're not coming and complaining. I call them refugees twice removed. They're not saying, oh, poor me. Why is God doing this to me? Doesn't, doesn't God love me? And here I am. I'm, I've been, I went to South Sudan. I'm in Uganda. God must not. No, they're not talking like that. You know what they say? God has brought us here. <laughs> they say it right to, I don't know, maybe they did to some of y'all too, right to my face. God has brought us here to save us, to get us stronger in the word of God so that we can enjoy life in Uganda? No, so that we can go back. We can go back to our tribes. We can go back to them. God brought us to be strengthened in the word of God, to go back to them, those that are in the darkness of Islam. They are true examples and I'm humbled to be in their midst whenever I'm with them uh, of holy, godly, ambitious people that are pleasing God with their ambitions. One example is a young name named, named Salah. There he is right there. Remember him all, y'all? <laughs> Salah? As I said in Sunday school, he makes me feel tall because he's about this tall. <laughs> but he, you wouldn't want to mess with him either. I mean, he's like a, a muscle muscle man, <laughs> and he got saved actually in Uganda. He was sent to South Sudan, and then when, then he had to go again to Uganda, and then he heard the gospel, and, um, and he's been to four of our trainings. He was to the last one in September. He told me personally, I've been corresponding with him and talking with him, personally said there's like three million in, in his tribe in the Nuba Mountains, and I thought Nuba Mountains was like one tribe for a long time. But there's close to a hundred different tribes or nations in the Nuba Mountains, with most of them that are almost 100% Muslim. He's from one of those tribes. His tribe is the Jula Mandor tribe. And he said there's only a couple families that are Christians. And he was in Uganda, and family members also had to leave other family members. Some of them stayed in Juba, which is the capital of South Sudan. And they said, well, we want to meet with you. We heard you become a Christian. You need to come and explain yourself. And so this last November, he and another brother went to Juba to meet his family, knowing ahead of time that they said they're coming to kill you or to beat you because you left Islam. He said, no, we have to. Because I think you were in that meeting, Jeff, when we met with the four. Oh, you weren't there, okay. Where they said, we, we have to go back and tell our family. Their, their first passion is their, is their family, then their tribe. Because they want to go back and say, we want to explain why we became Christians. And so he jumped at the cha chance to go to Juba, which is still not in North Sudan. But he jumped to go there knowing what they might do to him. He went there with his brother, uh, brother in the faith expecting to be beaten. However, God in his providence had other plans. They said, we want you to explain yourself. And so Salah, I mean, he's already got, he's only two years old in the Lord, but he's got a really firm grasp of the gospel and living by the faith in the gospel. And he understands Islam very well too. And he explained and he said, this is what, why we're the Christians. This is what we need. You need to believe too. And you know what? They didn't beat him up. They did not abuse him. And instead, he wrote me. I had the email. He wrote me this while I was in um, preparing this message in, in Tebby. He wrote me and said, instead, they have given me permission to go back to my tribe. Plus, they have given me permission to go back, and they will send two armed escorts with me 
to protect me to go back so that they can, because we said, they need to, our tribe needs to hear this. Plus, they said, you can bring Jacob with you and we'll provide protection. Ah, see what God is doing? He's ambitious, not caring about his own. He wants the gospel to get there. You know, I don't know who said this, but God can't steer a parked car. We have to be moving. We're moving forward in our ambitions. We're moving. We're heading this way. His tribe is unreached. He said, I got to go. I got to go. And we're a part, you're a part of training them up because that's part of discipleship, right? We don't just get people saved and say, there you go. It's like going and delivering a baby and just setting the baby on the table and say, okay, we rejoice that you're born. We were, we're very happy that you're, you've come into the world. Now, good luck. Isn't that what we do in our evangelism a lot? No, we have to train them up. And so he's getting training. He'll be there in June. Salah will be there for the team waiting for you to come to do module three with him. And he still has a heart. He says, Jacob, I got to go. So we're trying to work out, you know, of him going for short terms and coming back, knowing that he's, he's, he's got a lot of zeal. <laughs> but, you know, maybe it's not quite, you know, timing is important too, right? Um, and so we'll see how that happens. But um, again, there are no closed doors to the gospel. Get, we have to just get that out of our head. That's too much. Oh, the door's closed to me. No, it's not. Just, we just got to start thinking a little more creative or think about other ways. Um, God has opened the door. We've been able now through brothers like him and Joshua uh, Abraham, who's our coordinator. I mean, we've had hundreds of Bibles, Arabic study Bibles, which you all have had a part of getting there, English uh, ESV Global Study Bibles to those who can read English. Uh, the first team that you sent, um, I think maybe most of you know this, but they brought like about 70,000 70, <laughs> gospel tracks that we had specially made for Muslims. They're going up into Sudan uh, from High Point Baptist that we met right before providentially, uh, before we went to Uganda, who said, I have a Kindle ministry. And so we've been able through him to send up Kindles into North Sudan that have the Jesus film and teaching in Arabic and English, and, and most of these guys can do well in English, too, because English and Arabic are kind of side by side and are going into those places. The gospel's going in through the literature. We have people in Darfur. There's a brother who's in Chad who is ministering to Darfur refugees that have come across the border to Chad who says we need more resources. Come up and you can do a training in Chad. So that's in the works. But God is doing all these things. We are called to be ambitious. We are called to be ambitious. So Salah is, I think, a prime example of really following what Paul is talking about in Romans 15. God calls us, we sang about it, pick up our cross. Didn't we sing that one? And we could add, you know what, this is, I'm maybe being a little mean when I say this, but please forgive me. We could add to that verse, let's pick up our cross, crosses and get off our recliners and follow Jesus. <laughs> right? Amen? I mean, and so what, what is stirring in your heart right now? What is your respo response to the call to be ambitious? Ambitious for the glory of God and the spread of the gospel in your neighborhoods, here in Stephenville, and among the unreached peoples of the wor world. Yes, you are being ambitious to call us to be even more. Even more. Even more. Ambitious for the glory of God. Pray for us at Reaching Africa's Unreached. Continue, I should say continue to pray because I know you are praying. And we are so grateful. That's not just a saying, say, well, thank you for praying. Please pray. No. We see the serious, it's a spiritual battle and there's spiritual things happening, and the enemy does not want to let loose of these people. He needs ambitious risk takers. He needs ambitious intercessors, uh, ambitious people that will uh, give to the glory of God until it hurts. Um, and so that's the call that God has given you. That's the call that God has given us. Pray for us as we 
we have the wonderful opportunity not only to be with you, but we're going through a series of, of different churches in the next weekends ahead. Pray for us that we can just speak our hearts and hopefully God's heart in this whole issue. And we welcome you to come. We welcome you to come to RAU and to join us physically as well. Let me close with one quote. I have a quote. I think maybe they're going to put it up here. Um, I had the word ambition in there. I want to leave us with this, and then I'm going to pray. I'm sure that none of us will say when we, when when in heaven that we prayed too much, that we sacrificed too much, that we proclaimed the gospel too much, and we're too passionate to get the gospel to those who have little to no access to this gospel of grace. Let us, not individually, let us together press on to make it our ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have saved us, that you have redeemed us, we're thankful that you have given each and every one of us a calling, that you have gifted each one of us. We're grateful that you have given us the gospel to speak and proclaim the gospel, which is the power of salvation. Lord, I pray that the words that have come from you in this message would remain in your people's hearts. Lord, I thank you so much for Rocky Point Baptist Church I thank you for these dear brothers and sisters in Christ, and we love them, and we pray that you just continue to pour out your blessings and wisdom and guidance. I know you're calling uh, many here even to leave, which is difficult. You're calling others to stay, which is sometimes difficult as well. You're calling all of us to pray and to give. And I pray that you would empower us to be rightful in that thinking and in those actions. Give us holy ambitions, Lord. Help us to fine-tune those ambitious ambitions and help us to be more ambitious for your glory and for your honor. We ask it in Jesus' name.